0: Good morning. Open your Bibles and turn with me to James, the letter of James, and uh, we'll begin reading as we continue our study and meditation on the book of James in chapter 4 and read together the first 10 verses of chapter 4. James, continuing in his letter, writes and says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace." Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, and but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. We know that James is writing this letter primarily. He addresses Christian living, and he's writing it to believers, and Throughout his letter, he, he really does paint for us a picture of some that were professing Christ that were not thinking and were not acting as a Christian should. And the text that we have this morning, I believe, contains some of the strongest uh, language in the New Testament that is addressed to, to Christians We, we have read phrases such as wars and fightings among you, war in your members, ye kill, ye fight, ye war, ye adulterers and adulteresses. It doesn't get much more graphic and strong, stronger than that. Now it's hard to really imagine that as James is writing this that he's literally talking about Christians fighting and and killing each other or living in in sexual immorality. But I believe that he clearly is using this language to illustrate and to show the seriousness of the matters that he has already brought forward in his letter in the previous chapters and what he has written and in some of the other things that he addresses as he goes on in this letter. And as important as that was for those believers, it is important for us as well. And they were things, such things, as we've already learned and will learn, as being double-minded, having lust that leads towards sin, trusting in riches, being partial, being proud, lacking faith and and good works, as well as lacking self-control, especially in the area of the tongue, as we learned recently being covetous, selfish, having envy and strife towards fellow believers. All of these are things that he has mentioned in his letter and, and clearly were things that were going on in the lives of some of the believers that he was, was writing to. And he's really addressing what was a discrepancy that can exist in a Christian's life. A discrepancy between what they profess or what a Christian may profess and what he is actually living out in his lives. And you know, beloved brothers and sisters especially, if, if we're really being honest with ourselves, we recognize that that can sometimes be true for us as well. That that discrepancy, that, that disconnect we might say can exist for us as well between what we say and what we do, between what we profess that we believe, and and how we actually, at times, are living out our Christian faith and our Christian life. And so, as we would look at the beginning of this chapter in the first two verses here, we see that he is really addressing um, a struggle that, that goes on. Um, and on one hand, it's the struggle that goes on inside of us. And we might call that the war within something that I believe every believer at times faces and struggles with, and and it's it's in many ways uh, similar um, to because he says here the your lust that war in your members and this is really talking about what's going on inside of us in our hearts and, and that could be very similar to what Paul describes in Romans chapter seven where he says. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. And there's other things that he um, talks about in that chapter that I won't go into at this time. And so that is kind of the, the struggle that can be going on inside of us at times. But on the other hand, it is also a struggle that that results in or that that in a sense uh, um is is shown in in the relationships that we have one with another and, and here we read from whence come wars and fightings among you he's writing to christians um what was going on in 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 some of these christian circles we we need to ask ourselves that question in the, in just the previous chapter Verse fourteen it says, But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, um glory not and lie not against the truth. Um, you know, once again he's he's talking about the things that uh are, are in our in our hearts. And how that affects relationships. And and Paul, writing to the Galatians, he he talks and admonished them in a similar way. And he said, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. So, so he kind of lays a, a, a groundwork of, of what's going on inside them and around them in within their circles, and then he summarizes it in in verse four um, in in this way, and he says, "Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God." This is a powerful verse. And one that, that I think can really cut to the heart just because of the, 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 um, uh, the language that he is using here and, and, and how, how serious this really can become and is. So James is, is not uh, referring to adultery here in the, in the sense of breaking the seventh commandment. But rather he is calling out what, what clearly can be identified as spiritual adultery. And and he's defining that for us what that really is and what it means and we know that adultery and its uh, um, by definition is sexual relationships outside of um, the marriage relationship with with someone that is not one's husband or wife and God designed exclusiveness into the marriage for the purpose of preserving the sanctity of marriage, but he also designed it to become a picture of the covenant relationship that God desires with his people, with his covenant people. And we know that in the Old Testament, that was the nation of Israel. And... and. This is why God was very jealous about that relationship. And He judged them very harshly when they strayed into idolatry, when they adopted the, the idol worship and the, the, the pagan practices of the nations around them. And, and, and then ultimately also mixed them into their own worship of God. And, and He despised that because He is a jealous God. And He wanted them to be devoted exclusively unto to to him, and and he describes that uh, in the context uh, just the same way as perhaps an adult not perhaps as an adulterous wife being unfaithful to her husband, and and we can read uh, scriptures. There's numerous ones, but one in Chronicles, and it says there, and they transgressed against the God of their fathers and went to a, a- whoring. Or committing adultery after the gods of the people of the land whom God destroyed before them. And and God uh, called them out for that. And, and that clearly was the, the spiritual adultery that was happening within the nation of Israel throughout the many generations. And we read that over and over. It's a common theme in the Old Testament. As we move into the New Testament, we know that the God's covenant people is us, you, brother and sister, we the that are the children of God, those that have been redeemed by Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross, those that have become his children, that have become born again, that are called the church, the bride of Christ. And so, just like in the Old Testament, in the New Testament too, the church, the the church is is also symbolized by this relationship between God and 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 us, between Christ as the the bridegroom and the church as the bride, and He wants us to also be a picture, an example of of that faithfulness and that undivided love and devotion just as a husband and wife should have for each other, that we should have for Christ as well. And then James gives us a very clear definition of what spiritual adultery is. And some have have labeled various different things as being spiritual adultery that really do not have a, a biblical basis. They may have other scriptures that could apply, but calling it spiritual adultery is simply not biblical. And and as we look at this this verse 4, James very clearly spells out for us what spiritual adultery is and what that looks like in the New Testament, in the dispensation of grace, and, and in particular for God's people. When we think that and consider that James here is saying to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God, that really, you know, he links this with calling them out as being adulterers and adulteresses. And so in essence, he is very clearly saying that this is spiritual adultery. To be a friend of the world which at the same time makes you an enemy of God. So what does it mean to be a friend of the world? And that's a very important question that, that we should be asking ourselves because it's really, again, he's talking to believers here. We know that Jesus said that no man can serve two masters, either for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You know, as we look through the New Testament, we see there are other scriptures that that, that clearly address this uh, this tension, we could call, um, that can go on and does go on, that clearly was going on in, in some of the Christians' lives that James was addressing and that can also exist in our own lives. And we see uh, references in scripture like the natural man versus the spiritual man. Being carnally minded versus being spiritually minded. Contrasting the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Scriptures that talk about uh, things above as opposed to things below. In other words, things that have perhaps a heavenly or a, a perspective in contrast to an earthly perspective. And then Jesus also. Um, in speaking to his disciples and praying for them, said, um, you know, keep them from the evil that is in this world, and and, and clearly said that that being in this world, but not of it, and we often use that expression. There's there's no question that these um, contrasts, these scriptures that that talk about this uh, really diametrically opposite, um way of thinking and living and and, and acting, um, they they really address the change that that not only should that must take place when one becomes converted, when one is born again, converted and regenerated and becomes a child of God. When we move from that transition of uh, being in the kingdom of darkness, moving into the kingdom of light. But the challenge that James is addressing here is that, and that we as well face, is that there are times, and we all have to admit that, admit this, there are times when that old nature, that Adam nature, tries to and wants to be resurrected in our lives and manifests itself in a way as James talks about in a number of verses throughout his letter here, manifests itself by us becoming double-minded, thinking in two different directions, so to speak. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Bible says, "And Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, and, and this verse also just leads us in this direction of, of trying to understand what this, what did this, what does this mean to be a friend of the world? Because it does become important. The, the Apostle John um, writes in his first uh, um, letter. Uh, about being conformed to this world and being a friend of the world and what that really looks like when he says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the world, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so when Paul writes... Uh, Be not conformed to this world. This is really what he is is drawing our attention to. And So what does it mean to not be conformed to this world? It means that we should not love it. Because God wants us to love him exclusively. Remember that that, um, picture of marriage and the exclusiveness of that and what he desired for his covenant people, not only in the Old Testament, but what he desires from us as well just as a a faithful wife would love her husband. It means that we should not be captivated by the world's sinful pleasures, that we should not be motivated and controlled by its influences or guided by its values, and that we should be living out our Christian lives not with a a secular or worldly uh, worldview, but rather a Christian, a biblical worldview, and that becomes so very important. I'd like to um read for you some excerpts out of an essay that um is found in this booklet The Fascination of the Race. Um some of you I, I hope many of you are familiar with with it and have have read um read this if you haven't I encourage you to do so and, and certainly read the entire um uh essay or or uh, chapter of which I'm going to read just some excerpts, keeping in mind this was written a hundred years ago, and yet um, it's so relevant because the truths that are trying to be uh, that are being uh, conveyed here are timeless because they are biblical. And he entitles this uh, chapter or this essay, "Be Not Conformed to This World." Um, which is exactly what Paul admonished in, in the scripture that I just recently read in Romans twelve two, to be not conformed to this world. And he goes on to say, But wherein shall our life and conduct differ from that of the world? Wherein and how shall we distinguish ourselves as Christians? Upon our correct answer to this question depends whether we live the true Christian life or a miserable imitation of it which not only is an offense to the world, but works against rather than to the glory of God. Of course a Christian cannot be conformed to the unregenerated and sinful world. But the first thing we must understand is that there is no virtue whatever in mere nonconformity, in merely being different and peculiar. Paul makes this very plain where he admonishes Be not conformed to this world by adding, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The question is whether we are peculiar according to the peculiarity of Christ, whether we have received the renewing of the mind and have continued and have continued in it. But even if we have once been truly regenerated and renewed in mind and heart, we must not forget that many false prophets are gone out into the world and many seducing spirits attempt to exert their influence upon us and to confuse us, to mislead us, even after we have found the true light in Christ. When we add our own feebleness of understanding and proneness to error, we can easily understand why Christ says, watch and pray. And again, in what I say unto you, I say unto all. This knowledge of our proneness to error and of the many deceptions that are abroad shall ever keep the true Christian humble, watchful, and on his guard. It shall ever give us occasion to measure ourselves with the yards, ourselves with the yardstick of Christ's teaching, to see whether the fruits we bear are the fruits of the Spirit of Christ and whether the peculiarities we show are the peculiarities of Christ or whether we have gotten into the error of thinking to see virtue in peculiarities which are of our own or which might belong to some nationality or to some former day. The fashions and customs of 25 or 50 years ago are no more sacred than those of today although to the human eyes they seem to be hallowed by time. In their zeal for the maintenance of these customs and peculiarities, he goes on to say, they often forget completely to show forth the characteristics of the peculiarities of Christ, but give themselves, in spite of much outward appearance of piety, to such carnal vices and worldliness as conceit, greed, evil surmising, evil speaking, and hardness of heart. And then moving on to the conclusion. In short, our non conformity with the world shall be in that. Being converted and regenerated, we no longer shall bring forth the fruits of the flesh. But that alone but that alone will not be sufficient. We must also be diligent to bring forth in rich measure the fruits of the Spirit. And therein is the true non-conformity of the Christian, not in keeping of customs in external matters, which are different from those of the people surrounding us. But some will say, he asked, does not the renewing of the mind also show itself outwardly? Yes, it does. Not in that it puts us into subjection to man-made ordinances and traditions or to self-righteous customs, but it works an inward modesty which expresses itself in outward moderation and in obedience to the doctrine of Christ. The fruits of the renewing of the mind, which are visible to the eye, however, are of minor importance when compared with the invisible qualities of the heart, such as faith, hope, love, patience, moderation, purity, humility, peaceableness, modesty, kindness, forbearance, gentleness, cheerfulness, unselfishness, loyalty, constancy, and self-control. These are the true marks of unworldliness which adorn the Christian character and make him to differ from the world. These things are what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he wrote... Be not conformed to this world, but be he transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in conclusion, he says, one more important thought we must add. Let no one think he can accomplish this nonconformity to the world and the renewing of the mind through his own will and through his own strength. That is the work of the grace of God. It is possible for all to attain who seek it through the grace of God in Christ, who are willing that Christ should rule in them and over them. I love the words of this hymn, the last one in our hymnal. The narrow way to heaven our steps would stray aside unless his grace once given unto the end abide. And this is really the thought that that um, James captures as he goes on uh, in the fourth chapter here. What he says, But he, God, giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. This was spoken to the covenant people of the Old Testament. It is being spoken to us as well. And James is calling the believers in his day, to humble themselves before God and to seek repentance and forgiveness from him. This coming Saturday, there there's going to be a, a prayer march. It's being called in Washington, D.C. And actually, and some of you may be aware of this or have heard of it, there's been... Um, a call for Christians around the world to to engage in repentance and prayer to God for, for what is going on in the world. And it's been organized by a prominent uh, 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 figure, Franklin um, Graham, who, who also... Um, Leads the organization that uh, that uh, we participate in with the cheerful, um, with the uh, Operation Shoebox, helping and distributing those around the world. But he writes this and he says, "America, and we could put Canada or perhaps many and most other countries in the world in that as well, is in trouble. Our communities are hurting. Our people are dividing." And there's fear and uncertainty all around us. Let's join together and do the most important thing. Pray. That's exactly what James says here. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to God in prayer and and he will draw nigh to us. Come to God, he will come to you. And then he goes on to say Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Most everywhere in, in the New Testament, Christians are called saints. And only in, in a few, and this being one of them, are they referred to as sinners. And, and not in the sense of sinners as those that are un, regenerated or are living in sin but sinners in the sense that we also sin we can and we do and we need to repent for that we need to seek God and 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 come before him in humility as it says here in repentance and ask for his forgiveness especially in this area where we can find ourselves being double-minded and so believers are, are called to this repentance as it says here in verse 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. And this is really a, a, a New Testament perhaps version of what the Old Testament calls, uh, called out uh, the children of Israel. That they should repent in sackcloth and in ashes. And come before God in in true humility and in in remorse. Acknowledging their sin and praying and asking for forgiveness. And allowing God to to transform their minds, our minds. You know, when the Bible says um, in Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to quote The first um, verse there as well. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Written to believers. And then verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That she may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And that transformation is not a one-time event. That is not something that simply happens and must happen when we become a child of God. When we are born again. Because if it doesn't, we haven't been born again. But it is... It is something that needs to happen continually in the Christian's life. That we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It is a continuous sanctification of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and in our lives to, to do what the Bible describes in Ephesians there um, when it talks about the church as the bride of Christ being um, pure and and being washed by the water uh, of the word. It's when the word of God just in a sense floods over us and and the power of the word and and through the working of the Holy Spirit brings about that sanctification and causes us to be what, what God wants us to be. And so we are called to repentance. We are called to, to revival. We are being called uh, by James, as he did to his, his readers here, to, to really humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And then it gives that promise that, that he will lift us up. And, and in many ways, that was the theme um, of the Bible class this morning. For those of you that were there, you will clearly recognize that coincidental, I think not. I'd like to to share with you in closing just a couple uh, uh, paragraphs here um, of a handout that was given, and, and I will see that that this handout, uh, at least in part, is is attached to our church uh, email announcements and, and hope that you will read that as well. Speaking of revival and speaking of this uh, repentance and, and turning back to God, speaking of this this humility that that, that we need to have, and that God is, is calling us to, that James is calling us to. In order to experience personal revival, one has to live from the fullness of of that which our Lord Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. So many believers think that there are still other things that we have to achieve or to accomplish. No, what Christ came to do is complete. We should ask the Father to open and enlighten our eyes and minds through the Holy Spirit, so that we will be able to have a deeper and a better understanding of the old truths of the gospel. Pray daily for a deeper relationship with Christ. Pray for a deeper understanding of the complete redemption and deliverance that Christ accomplished for us. Pray for a deeper understanding of the indwelling and workings of the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ in us, make an effort to live in greater dependence of God the Father. Renewal is to live from the fullness of that which God the Father gave us in Christ Jesus. There's value in in setting aside a day like next Saturday. Of course, we can't go to Washington, D.C., But we can find a place where we can devote ourselves to prayer. And all of us should be encouraged to do that. Not only for ourselves, but for our nation, for our church, for our families, in the midst of all of the turmoil. But also that this renewing of the mind would would take place daily in our lives so that we can become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. And so may, through that process, may our hearts and our minds reflect the qualities that James is extolling, that he is is laying out throughout his letter. Gentleness, peaceableness, self-control, patient endurance, perseverance, meekness, care for the marginalized and the needy, the widows, the orphans, and others. And let's not forget what he said about pure religion, that it is also to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Amen.